Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of James Talks. Really great to have you all here today. Um, yeah, I've got another um, great guest with me today. Um, a guy who's become a friend of mine recently. Um, Steve Austin is with me today. So welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks. I'm so glad to be here, James. What an honor. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, he's joining me from where are you? Where are you? Where are you joining me from? I'm from Birmingham. In America, Isn't that just down the street from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Slightly, slightly further away. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Birmingham, UK, is only two hours away from me. Okay. Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Um, Steve's. Um, he's a blogger. Um, a writer. He's written this great ebook um, about messy grace. Um, which I haven't had the chance to read yet, but I've just downloaded it. I'm about to read it, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, so, uh, and we're going to talk about that bit today and a few other things. So, um, yeah, here we go. Um, yeah, so, Steve, tell us a bit about yourself and, you, and you, your story and your background. Sure. I um, Well, thank you again for having me, first of all. I, I really am so excited. I love a good podcast. I have enjoyed yours. Uh, the next one that's on my list to listen to of yours is the Pete Rollins interview. I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah, good one. yeah. I'm sure it's a good one. Um, but, yeah, my story, um, well, I'll tell you a little about me briefly, and then I'll, I'll dive into it. But, um, yeah, I'm 33. I've uh, been married uh, eight years, uh, going on nine, and two little kids. We have Ben, who is four, and Caroline, who turns two in ten days. So um, it's busy around here for sure. My wife is a speech pathologist, and I'm a sign language interpreter by trade. That oh, is cool. what pays the bills for now until hopefully the writing career takes off a little <laughs> more and starts paying the bills. Uh, so that's a little about me. And um, we live in suburban, uh, a suburban part of Birmingham, and uh, it's the biggest city in Alabama, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but... Uh, <laughs> That's where we are, and um, so my story is a lot like a lot of other church kids. I grew up in a um, conservative Christian evangelical home. Um, I sang my first solo in the church when I was six years old, and uh, my dad was always very involved in the music ministry at church, uh, you know, all buddies with the pastor and the music minister and this and that. And um, I don't know, somewhere along the way, I learned a lot more about religion than I did about faith. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And, you know, it's interesting, Richard Rohr talks a lot about that journey and how so many of us, that, that is how we start. We do start off much more religious and we get that foundation. And then mm. you sort of have to decide which way you're going to go, you know, yeah, are you going to yeah, keep yeah, down yeah. that <laughs> journey of religion or, or seek after authentic faith? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, um, so that was true for me for the first goodness, more than 25 years. I was, very religious. I learned how to perform. I learned how to, uh, what I would say, fake it to make it. And um, it was to my own detriment. I ignored self-care. I um, was so focused on busyness. And I, I thought, um, you know, the, uh, the about the worst thing you could be is a lazy church person. And uh, so I, I burnt the candle at both ends, as we say. And um, at the 
age of 28, tried to kill myself. Right. And um, we're four years after that now, almost, almost four years into recovery. And looking back, it, uh, thank goodness there was lots of counseling and individual therapy, marriage counseling, that sort of thing. It saved my life. But looking back at it now, I see it was just a lifelong pattern of shame and secret keeping and being religious, but having no, like I said, no authentic faith. And so now I'm, I'm on a journey to still embrace the church because I do believe that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, but I believe there's a lot of change that needs to happen. I think there are a lot of problems, but I want to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you there, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, you know, there's people who have made quite an income writing about the church, bashing the church, being church haters, uh, and it, I think it's pretty lucrative, but I don't want to be that guy. I'm fine poking holes, you know, and, and sort of having that irreverent hope and saying, look, you know, there's there's some BS here. Pardon me. Mm. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but but in doing that. So now what? So what do we do? How do we fix it? How do we make it better? How do we be more relevant? You know, and uh, it's really important to me. It's really important to me to to be relevant, to be authentic, to be mm. what I say, respectfully raw. Um but always show grace. I think the guy in the pulpit needs as much grace as the guy in the pew. So that's that's where my heart is. Absolutely. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so just unpack for us a bit about because um, you mentioned that you had you, know, you attempted suicide about four years ago. Um, so just kind of unpack if you, if, it's, if that's okay the story behind that and um, kind of your experiences of mental illness and how that's kind of impacted you and shaped you. Sure. Well, my story does include mental illness. It also includes childhood sexual abuse, um, which is a little more new for me to talk about than the suicide attempt, but, mm -hmm. uh, but it's vital. It's so important for us guys who have experienced that to talk about it and to tell other guys that they're not alone. It happens more often than you can fathom. Um, so I, I was sitting in the psychologist's office, and he gave me homework. And I thought, oh, brother, you know, here we go. But he said, I want you to write down every memory that you have from birth until you started school. So birth to, you know, five years old, every memory that you have. And at that point, I was 29 years old. And I'm going, man, you know, i got to think back 25 years, 24 years. Are you kidding me? Mm, yeah. but, but I did it. And I wrote down everything I could think of and came to the conclusion that my very first memory was abuse. And okay. when you're, you know, you're a, a, a almost 30-year-old straight male and your very first memory is phallic, uh, for lack of a better word, it, it certainly can shape your life. Hmm. And... I yeah. love my parents. Like I said, I grew up in a strong, conservative Christian home. Um, my parents were very young. My mom was 20 years old when I was born. My dad was 21. So they were kids and didn't know what to do. They knew about the abuse but um, and did what they thought was right at the time. You know, you can 
you can only give out of what you have. And mm. so they didn't know what to do. And um, my mom, being the very gracious, very forgiving person that she is, she's always been that way, uh, she knew that um, this boy that, that did the, the abuse was 17, and I was um, not quite four. And she knew that the, the boy's father was a raging alcoholic and that if this was reported, it would cause you know, even more problems. And so in her young spot uh, in life, she felt like the best thing to do was to tell that boy, don't ever come around again. She was tutoring him after school. And uh, she, she just felt like the best thing to do was to tell him to not ever come around again, or she would involve the police. And, um, for whatever reason, I, you know, I, I can't blame, I'm not going to live in, in regret and bitterness, but it was just sort of swept under the rug. There was no counseling. There was no therapy. There was no talking about it. And, um, I didn't talk about it. Didn't even, it was just sort of put out of mind for, about 15 years, and I was a senior in high school uh, and part of this leadership uh, group, and we went to uh, the DHR here in the States. It's the Department of Human Resources, uh, this Child and Family Services, Protective Services. Mm. Um, yeah. So anyway, went there, and we were there for a tour with this leadership group, and um, the director of the DHR program was um, – sort of just showing us around, telling us about the services they provide. And she brought out this doll, this little stuffed uh, doll, and it's what they use when a child has been abused. And, you know, point here, tell me what happened, you know, that kind of thing with, with this doll as an example. And all those memories came flooding back as an 18-year-old uh, got it together, successful kid, you know, that's grown up in the church and seems to have no problems. And all those memories came flooding back. And I guess you would call it PTSD. It's never been hmm. diagnosed, but it's the only thing I could relate it to in my unprofessional opinion. And, oh my goodness, uh, you know, anxiety just squeezed around my neck and, um, I had my very first panic attack, and I, I left this conference room full of my peers and teachers and leaders, and I, I ran out into the hall and just sank down onto that cold tile floor, and, you know, all everything just sort of, with a panic attack, it, it just sort of, everything comes together, and it's, it's um, it reminds me of the end of a cartoon, you know, where the screen goes black and it goes down to that one tiny little circle and yeah, then eventually yeah, it's all yeah. gone. You know, yeah. that's what it reminds me of. It, it, everything crumbles in and you just can't make sense of anything. And, and your chest is tight and your breath is shallow. And, um, boy, I, I had um, a choice at that moment to deal with it or bury it again. But... Yeah. When all of that comes to the surface, you can't really bury it again. Um, so I talked about it um, with my mom at that point, and um, we still didn't do a whole lot. We talked about it briefly and then buried it again and um, didn't come back up again until I woke up in ICU. And, um, 
boy, I, uh, that was another 10 years. So 28, 29 years old, waking up in ICU after a suicide attempt. Um, I, the So there was, the, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit and I apologize. Um, oh, no, it's fine. It's, it's <laughs> so there fine. was the, the abuse as a preschooler. I was uh, addicted to pornography at 12, got introduced to pornography at 12, and that was a 20-year addiction. I am only about six months into recovery uh, from a porn addiction, and um, wow, it's a huge problem, and it is um, Mm. such a strong, strong addiction. Uh, You know, when I I discovered porn at 12, I thought – I felt like I'd found the cure to cancer, you know, but I couldn't tell anybody, (laughs) you know, and, uh, my goodness, when these days it's so easy to hide, you know, back then you had dial up internet and you had to clear your history and clear your cookies and all this stuff to get around it. And nowadays it's on your phone or it's on your tablet, it's in your pocket, you know, you can carry it around all the time. And, uh, I I do some writing for covenant eyes, which is a, a wonderful organization that has, um, a an accountability app that you can install on your computer, your phone, your tablet. Uh, you can set up accountability partners that will receive all your internet history if there's anything questionable or whatever. Uh, and I write for their blog from time to time. And uh, their latest statistics show that 64% of church-going men are addicted to pornography. 64%. That's huge. So, it is huge. I mean, you look at your local church on a Sunday, and more than half of those men, statistically speaking, are addicted to pornography. Uh, so, so there's so much shame there, and all that secret keeping, and then all of the humiliation from the abuse. Uh, I was a youth pastor and a worship leader at the time that I attempted suicide, and yeah. boy, it, it's it's quite a lot to deal with, but. Um, I think it's so important to talk about now because there are people in the church and in leadership in the church who deal with depression, who deal with anxiety, uh, who deal with the monster that shame is. And thank God for people like Brene Brown who yeah, are teaching yeah, yeah, us, yeah. you know, yeah, about shame awesome. and vulnerability. Yeah, so, absolutely. So there's it's, a little unpacking for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to, where to begin with that. That's that's. Wow. Thank you for sharing so honestly. That's really, um, really great. I think a lot of people will be encouraged by that because I think, I think many of us, we just need to know we're not alone. And, and that's the power of people sharing their stories is that we know we're not alone, you know, and there's so many people who think I'm the only one that's going through this or I've got shame about this. You know, I don't, I, you know, I deserve to die because I do this kind of thing. I'm a monster, whatever. And actually there's a whole lot of people who, who struggle with it and you know um yeah so that's really 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 powerful um well, so thank th- you thank you for sharing that yeah um, it's you know it speaking of Brene Brown that's what she says you know shame grows in the dark and when you're isolated that's where it grows and it gets worse and it becomes darker and more unmanageable but it can't shame she says shame can't survive being spoken, being exposed to the light. We know that light is the light of God. Uh, but she says, you know, shame can't be, uh, can't survive being exposed to the light. So every time I tell my story, it's another opportunity to say, you know what, you don't have that power over me anymore. And to hopefully give someone else the chance to say, me too. Uh, I hear from 
some people sometimes complain because I am so open with my story. I do tell it in detail a lot of times, sometimes more detailed than what I just gave. But uh, and people will complain about that and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't, um, you know, tell all your secrets and air all your dirty laundry, this and that and the other. But you look at the porn industry, they're telling all their secrets and airing all their dirty laundry and, and without shame. So I think it's time for the church to do the same thing, to say, we've all got issues. We've all got problems. Mm, Craig Craig Rochelle says we connect with people more in our brokenness than in our perfection. You know, I I, I I agree. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Brené Brown's one of Brené Brown's books called the gifts of imperfection, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I actually think if I don't like to call, I don't like to use the term the church because, um, Rob Bell says, like, you know, when you talk about the church, you should just say the humans, you know, it's just like, so you know, true. um, but, um, the church, the kind of organized church, if you want to call it that, you know, the, the Christian church, if we were more vulnerable about our weaknesses and said that, you know, we have these kind of set of beliefs and whatever, this faith, but it doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't mean we get it perfect all the time. It doesn't make any of any of the individuals who believe that or are involved in that perfect at all. We still make mistakes, you know. Um, we're just trying to live by a certain set of values. We're trying to we're trying to love each other. We're trying to for, become people of forgiveness and compassion and that kind of thing. That's all we're doing. We're not. We don't claim to have the moral right to judge anybody we don't you know we're just as imperfect as you that's right people would probably start to pay more attention because <laughs> you know because it's like well okay well, well I'm, then maybe i'm not like maybe these ideas are, maybe they'd look beyond kind of the behavior of the church and actually look at what you know what they believe about love and grace and forgiveness and um justice right. and that kind of thing um, i think people see the quote unquote church and, and they, maybe it was Thomas Melton. I'm not sure, but whoever it was said, you know, the church is the only place where we shoot our own wounded. And it's so true. As soon as somebody comes out and says, well, I had an affair or, well, I'm an alcoholic or, well, I'm whatever their issue or struggle may be at the time. Oh my goodness, more often than not, it's, oh, you know, let's, hey, hush, hush, let's put that away. Let's not talk about that or let's talk yeah. about that behind closed doors, you know. But why? Yeah. <laughs> it just blows my mind that we want to clean it up and dress it up so much. And, and Jesus was the very one who went to the broken people and, and broke the rules of religion and culture constantly to go to those who are disenfranchised, to go to those who are longing for hope and healing and freedom and belonging and acceptance. And that's who I want to be. <laughs> that's who I want to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, you mentioned about listening to my podcast with Pete Rollins. I, when I, one of the things that came up when we were, when we were talking was about truth and, you know, there's that phrase in the Bible that the truth will set you free. But we were talking about how a lot of Christians act like that's not true, you know, because we want to, because we want to keep loads of stuff hidden. We want to, we don't want to, we don't want to um, examine our own beliefs. We don't want to expose our beliefs to criticism. We don't want to almost deconstruct them. We don't want to kind of leave them, let them be challenged right. um, so that we can grow 
Um, yeah. And I just you know I've been doing atheism for Lent, which is something that Pete Rollins does, which is basically allowing your faith to be critiqued by people who aren't Christ by the writings of people who aren't Christians. Wow. Um, and it's just you know I'm, I haven't been able to do all of it, but the, the bits of it I've done, it's been fascinating because it makes you think about. What do I really believe? What actually am I, you know, I say I believe this, but what am I actually believing in? What am I living out in my actual life? You know, that's right. am I living like this is true? Yeah. Um, and we need to do that as Christians. We need to do that as a church. We need to kind of be honest and be vulnerable. And that's really, really important. And, um, you know, the thing that changed my life and it's so funny, but one of the, one of the big, uh, watershed moments, I guess you could say, in my life was my first year in ministry school. We had a Bible class, and Bible class was the first semester was the Old Testament, second semester was the New Testament, and you literally went line by line and made notes. Every time something spoke out to you in whatever book or chapter you're reading at the time, you made notes. And it changed my life because so much of what I read, I said, my gosh, that goes against what I've heard preached all my life. That's not what I've heard preached all my, you know, and you find all these things and go, what the Bible actually said, oh my goodness, you know, and, and you do begin to deconstruct. And, uh, I'm so excited that you're having those guys speaking of deconstruct. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're having those guys on the show. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Because there's, it's such a wonderful thing and they are so good. The deconstructionists are so good at providing a safe place to take it all apart and look at it and not throw out the baby with the bathwater, but look at it and go, here it all is laid out clearly in some sort of systemic way. And there's some stuff you keep and there's some stuff that you throw out and that's okay. You're not throwing out God. You're not throwing out um, your faith. You're just throwing out some of the BS. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I much prefer to throw out the BS than I do, yeah, the truth. Um, because when you when you when you check out the BS, actually the truth starts to get exposed, and that's actually that's actually really really good. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, I mean, a lot of your work, um, and people check out your site, I am steveaustin dot com. Um, you talk about messy grace, <laughs> and I see you talk about this a lot, and um, I, you know, I I totally agree with you about that. I mean, I love I love talking about grace. I've written a book about grace. Um, I can't wait to see it and read it. That's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to release it. Actually, it's going to be good. Um, so, what? Just unpack that idea. What What is messy grace? Um, what does it look like like for you? And what do you think it looks like for us? Yeah, you know, it it goes back to so much of what we've been saying already. That I grew up this church rat of a kid uh, that could have been born in the baptismal. You know, I've been there all my life and seen and heard so much about rules and regulations and man's opinion and theology and all these big words that we throw out that don't mean a whole lot when life is dumped in your lap, when you wake up in a bed in ICU because you fully intended to end your life. And now you're here going, now what? Now what? You know, now I, I, I woke up in that bed in ICU. The doctor's trying to decide if my liver was going to fail. And I had to decide, am I going to just repeat this and do it again and make sure that I succeed this time? Or am I going to figure out why I'm here? And I, I don't talk about 
crazy, weird, out there stuff all the time, but I heard the whisper of God that day in ICU. It was day two, and I heard God whisper, I'm not finished with you yet. And it changed my life because here I am at my lowest point with not an ounce of pretense or performance, all my failures exposed, this lie that I've been living, and I'm laying there with nothing to offer. I am, from the outside looking in, from every human perspective, I'm a failure at this moment. I have tried to abandon my wife, tried to abandon my little boy the day before he turned one year old. Mm. And God whispers, I'm not finished with you yet. And I can't make that up because the devil, quote unquote, certainly wouldn't say that. You know, all the shame that I've heard, all the lies, all the the guilt and humiliation certainly wouldn't say that to me. So that was the voice of grace Mm. to me that day. And I didn't know what it meant. And I, you know, I I sort of laughed and thought, you got to be kidding me that who in their right mind would say, I'm not finished with you yet. Don't you see where I am? Don't you know the thousands, tens of thousands of milligrams of prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs? I crushed them up and I dumped them in cups of hot tea and I downed that stuff. I tried to hang myself in the shower and that didn't work. And so I just kept taking more. Mm. And then the EMTs and the policemen find me 10 hours later. I should have been dead. And I hear him say, I'm not finished with you yet. And it it reminds me of the story of the adulterous woman. You know, she's caught in the act. It's not a rumor. Mm. It's not, I feel so guilty Mm. and I confess. She's in the act and she's drugged in and she's exposed. Yeah, oh my gosh, she's exposed. And here everyone is saying, we're done, we're going to kill her. Religion said, you're through, you couldn't perform, you couldn't follow the rules, you couldn't do all these things that we set you up to do. And God in the flesh steps in and says, "Uh uh-uh, no, just go away and don't do it again. I'm not finished with you. I believe in you. I'm not done with you. Your story's not over. Yeah, it blows my mind. You know, the woman at the well. I mean, we could go on and on about all these stories from the Bible where yeah, Jesus went yeah, to the yeah. downcast and the disenfranchised and all those who couldn't live up to these man-made rules and regulations and said, let me tell you about living water. Let me tell you about grace. And it changed my life. So I think grace is not always beautiful and pristine, like a, a gold cross necklace or a uh, stained glass window, but I think grace gets dirty with the ones that it loves, and I have Ooh. seen that in my own life. Grace gets dirty with the ones that it loves. That's Ooh, it. I love that. That is <laughs> that's really really good. Um, and it's yeah, and that's everybody, obviously, isn't it? So yeah, because um, grace confronts the truth, and you know. And, it's funny you mentioned that story about the woman, the, the uh, woman caught in adultery. A lot of my, the book I've written is is kind of built around that story, and I, it's one of my favourite stories in the Bible because it's. You're right. She's caught. She's like, there's no yeah. question about you're guilty. You know, you did this. <laughs> That's right. Um, and like the, the Pharisees are like saying, kill her. You know, she deserves to die. The law says she should die. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? You know. Yeah. And then Jesus just says. I don't condemn you. <laughs> Let's do something crazy. 
and forgive her and give her another chance. Yeah, and he just and, <laughs> and the thing about that, I, the thing about that always strikes me about that story, which people miss, or some people miss, is she doesn't ask for forgiveness. No, she doesn't repent. No, Jesus just forgives her anyway. That's right. People are like, "Oh, this repent and believe, and like then you'll be forgiven." It's like, no. Yeah. This is like, like it's like in that. Other, uh, it's like Jesus is like. You are forgiven already. You just have yeah. to receive that forgiveness that That's you already right. have. Yep. You know, like the in like it says, um, I don't know where it is, but it's in the it's something Paul wrote about the cross has reconciled um, everyone, reconciled all things. Yeah, like, the reconciliation of all, all things. things. Oh, That's yeah. it, and it Let's, means literally all things. <laughs> it's like it's all done. Like. Yeah. You're already forgiven. You just have to accept that you're forgiven and receive the forgiveness that's already yours, this gift, and let it transform you. And, yeah, that is... We could get into some deep theology, which I don't want to do, but <laughs> if you look at Jesus Christ as the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And you look at the cross as the centerpiece of the gospel, right? And mm. he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He then, in this deep theological way, he has always been being crucified, he was crucified, and he is still being crucified on our behalf all the time. So every sin I've ever done, whatever I'm doing now in this broken, imperfect state, and whatever I'm going to do in the future, he has been, is being, and will be crucified for that. And there's nothing I have to do but just say, thank you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's humbling, isn't it? It's just... Yeah. Because uh, I know that when I when I behave badly towards people um, or I have bad attitudes towards people, which they don't realize, and and then they behave in a way which kind of trumps that, and or they just love me anyway. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, you know, that's humbling enough. Yep. You know, but then you think about God, he just sees everything, and you can't hide anything mm. from him. And then he's just like, oh, I love you. <laughs> yeah. And that's just like, I, and that's that's difficult. You know, I, actually one of the things that I, I said before, and I, I really believe, is that it's just as hard to receive the the good truth about who you are as it is to receive the truth, the, the dark truth. In fact, it might even be harder. So, because if we can all, we can all be aware of like our mistakes and our sin and all that kind of thing. But to be confronted with this truth that you, that, yeah, that's true. But it's also true that you're infinitely loved and unconditionally loved and forgiven and accepted as you are. Yep. That's just as difficult to receive, if not more difficult. It is. It's, it's Brennan Manning. You are loved oh. as you are and not as you should be because you will never be as you should be. Yeah. Love him. Love that guy. Oh. Yeah, he's awesome, isn't he? Oh, I saw videos of him talking about this stuff and I was like, really oh, emotional. Okay. Like, oh, yeah. Know. The Ragamuffin Gospel. Oh, my goodness. It's a wonderful book. I haven't actually had a chance to read that one yet. Uh, it's great. Ragamuffin Gospel, Abba's Child is another great book. He's, oh, he, was a, he was a wonderful man. And so broken and so imperfect, but just beautiful in his brokenness. You know, as somebody else that you should consider trying to get on um, the podcast would be William Paul Young, um, who wrote The Shack. 
he is fantastic even outside of just talking about his book. When I, back in the olden days and in a previous life, when I had my own podcast, he came on and, oh my goodness, talking about that, that we are already forgiven, that we are already accepted, that we already belong at God's table. He's a brilliant man. (laughs) I love the chat. I actually love it. I think I read that, that book in like one day. Um, Mm -hmm. Just couldn't put it down, literally. A true page turner, yep. Yeah, I went to Starbucks to start reading it, and then I just found that I was there all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, having just bought it as well, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's, really? um, yeah, fantastic. Oh, this is great. Um, so, yeah, many, like, many struggle to kind of, re- like, we talked about this a little bit, but, you know, it's a struggle to receive grace, um, and... But we find it easy to show grace to others. Sure. Um, but other people have the opposite problem. Like, yeah, you know, they they have no problem receiving grace, but they find it difficult to extend grace to others. Like the whole idea that you're often critical of people more for things that you you more harsh on other people, the things that you're harsh about on yourself, the things sure. you don't like about yourself. So how, what do you find, what do you find the bigger challenge, receiving grace or extending grace to other people? I think for me, it's always receiving grace. It's always the hardest. I'm the grace's messy guy. It's my whole platform, and I've been writing about it since 2010. But still, when I fail, when I mess up, when I fall down and skin my knee, I know it's my fault, and I, it, it's what Brene Brown talks about, the difference in shame and guilt. You know, where She says, shame is, I am a failure. Guilt is, I messed up. You know, guilt is I messed up. Absolutely. Shame is I am a mistake kind of a thing. And, uh, boy, going through her e-course right now, my wife and I are doing um, her e-course on Daring Greatly and Rising Strong. And it is better than, and people are going to be upset about this, but it's better than any church course I've ever taken. It's better than any Sunday school class, any small group I've ever done. And it's not faith-based, but it's so digestible and it's so relatable to real life, no matter who you are, what stage you're in, Brene, I would like a proceed of whatever you get from this sale today. But no, it's it's so <laughs> <laughs> this is free advertisement. It is it, it's changed my life to look at how shame impacts every single area of our lives, whether that's as a child, as a parent, as an employee, employer, writer, speaker, taxi driver it doesn't matter wherever we are whatever stage shame impacts us all and learning to live through that and not be marked by it oh man it's such a game changer so to answer your question (laughs) it is much more difficult for me to give grace to myself than to other people and i think especially in the mental illness arena when you look at Um, Those who struggle with anxiety, depression, uh, maybe they've been diagnosed bipolar, whatever the case may be. There's so many diagnoses we can go through. But um, I think especially there, it's easier to give grace to other people, to give other people space to just be. But then we're so hyper self-critical. Oh, I can't believe I, you know, said that awkward comment. You know, I'm socially awkward or I can't believe I... 
you know, couldn't go to work today because I was in such a dark place. And, oh, I can't believe I had to leave, you know, the party early because I was having a panic attack. All those things that we do to ourselves. But if someone else was having that issue, we'd go, oh, man, you're good. It's okay. You know, we, we understand. We love you. We're here for you. Let us know what we can do. You know, all those kind things. And, and if we were just as kind to ourselves and said the kind things to ourselves that we say to other people, yeah, really change our lives. Yeah, I definitely find that the people closest to me tell me, you know, you have all these nice, encouraging things to say to other people about how great they are, and you know, to support them and believe in them and stuff. But you don't believe any of it about yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, and, and it's I definitely find it harder to believe to receive grace for myself than I do to extend it to others. It's yeah, it's it's so so difficult, and um, because I don't, I, I suppose because you've. I don't know. I don't. I can't quite put my finger on why that is, but I guess it's because you don't. You, other people don't have to live with you. You know. You That's don't, exactly right. You know. You see yourself. You see. Oh, what, yeah. You see the worst part of yourself. That's right. And you know what you're really like. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, well, I don't deserve that. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. You, but you don't see the fact that the truth is that they probably. Well, they do have insecurities and fears and doubts and, and make mistakes and have a dark side. We all have a kind of dark side in a sense. And that's probably why it's so difficult to receive grace and easier to that's give right. it for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I yeah. agree with Brenny, on Brenny Brown. Brenny Brown's work is so much about grace for me. It's just... Oh, um, yeah. Um, yeah, she's brilliant. She's absolutely yeah. brilliant. You know, it is... It goes back to Philippians 4 for me. When I can look at Philippians 4 and think about whatever's beautiful, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, what you know, that whole thing that it talks about in, in the fourth chapter of Philippians, if I can do that and try to set my mind on things above and not the negative, but think about the positive, think about the good, think about the things that I have to be thankful for. My goodness, gratitude will change your life. If you just find those things, um, and Voskamp, you know, in her book, uh, a thousand gifts. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. To, to think about those just little everyday thing, you know, here I am drinking hot tea, you know, and having a podcast with a friend from England. You know, how much is there to be thankful for? I'm sitting in a a house with electricity and air conditioning and it's raining outside and I don't have to worry about that. There's so much, just simple everyday things that we take for granted. Yeah. And if we stopped and slowed down, it's what's what you talked about. Was it yesterday on anchor and, and being mindful and slowing down? Yeah. Just being yeah. present. Oh, yeah. man, it'll change your life. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that that's come a lot from uh, the book I've just finished reading, um, Rob Bell's new book. Um, oh, yeah. How to Be Here. It's uh, about about being fully present in our lives and mm-hmm. about calling and about vocation and about creating, creating our lives and creating lives of meaning and purpose and that kind of thing. But... A lot of it is stemmed from this story about how he was knocked out by a, uh, I think it was a water skiing accident, and was wasn't able to remember anything, but could only be fully present in that moment. And when he finally recovered, it was like I want to be like that again because I didn't have any worry, anxiety, or fear. I was just able to appreciate the life that that was that was in that moment. Yeah, and. You know, and the way that book ends, I mean, I, I want to recommend it to everybody. Um, 
again, I, I recommend this book all the time because it's just so, so good. But um, I try to practice that. Um, yeah. And when you do that, when you choose to do that, it makes, it just changes everything. The whole perspective on life just changes. And yep. it's just amazing. Um, and you feel so much more grateful mm-hmm. for what you have. Yeah. Even if it's yeah. just for a short moment, you just feel that. And, you, and then you, then when you've experienced that once, you kind of want that feeling again. Sure. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's funny. I, I notice it more often than anywhere else at the supper table at night with my family and used to, we would, you know, my wife cooks almost every night. I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. She's a fantastic cook. She loves to cook. She works all day and she will either prepare food and it'll be ready to cook at night to be ready just to heat up at night or she comes home and cooks, you know, after work. But anyway, luckiest guy in the world. And uh, so we sit down and have supper together every night, you know, old fashioned as that may be. It's so important to us. It's my, just part of my favorite time of the day. And, um, for a while, we were in this mode of we would have our phones. You know, we're all so accessible all the time today with the iPhone generation, I guess, and our Android, whatever you may have. But um, we would have our, our plate of food. I, I'm sitting here. My wife's across from me, the kid in the high chair on either end of the table, and our, our phone sitting out on the table next to us because, you know, something earth-shattering might happen on Twitter or Facebook or, you know, somebody yeah. might post a yeah. funny video of a cat on Instagram. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, and now my, my child, my little boy that's uh, four and a half, um, a while back he started saying, Dada or Mama, pay attention. Pay attention. He would say something two or three times, and here we are, you know, zoomed in on our phone doing whatever we're doing that doesn't matter and he's going pay attention pay attention and we have finally started paying attention and so our phone stays on the kitchen counter you know or it stays in our bedroom or whatever during that meal time because that that chance just like Jesus with the the disciples Jesus with his best friends breaking bread was so important it's such a wonderful way to have that small close knit community and there's no more important community than my family so to sit yeah, and yeah. hear their silly stories and watch the funny things they do and you know see my daughter make a huge mess eating spaghetti with her hands you know and <laughs> all of those wonderful things that I won't always get to experience because they grow up so fast yeah and so to be present just in those moments because this is my it's my sanctuary you know more than anywhere else this kitchen table that i'm sitting at right now this this is my altar it's my sanctuary it's where i break bread it's where we talk about the things that matter and pray for each other and encourage each other and tell our our hard moments and we celebrate our small victories together right here at the kitchen table or maybe it's at the table at starbucks or maybe it's you know wherever it might be for other people but for me it's right here at the kitchen table and being present and putting distractions away and looking people in the eye and listening to their story oh man i I, i'm i'm on a roll now but (laughs) i uh, (laughs) go for it i shared that um 
post this week. I'm, I'm pretty sure you shared it on Twitter, and I appreciate when you do that so much. Um, mm. But the yes. post uh, about gay Christians. Yeah. And, you know, obviously got lots of flack being here in the buckle of the Bible belt, as yeah. we call it, uh, the, the deep <laughs> south. Yeah. And um, caught a, a good bit of flack from that. But I... Um, meant every word of it, and I would write it again and share it again, and I will share it again a million more times because it, it is such a needed message to say, I'm not the judge, I'm not the jury, my job is to love, and I am an ally for LGBTQRSTUV, you know, all of the, whatever that is, I am your ally, and I believe Jesus is your ally, and I believe there's room at God's table for all of us, and when we get beyond the issue and we see the person, we see the person sitting in front of us. Uh, I, I had coffee this week with a dear friend and listened to his story and heard his cry and saw him cry, this grown man cry over his own struggles of being in the church and the secrets that he has in his heart that he feels he can't share with anyone because he would be ostracized because he would be excommunicated, if you will. And it's no longer an issue at that moment. It's no longer a debate at that moment. It's no longer this gray area. It's black and white. The issue of love is black and white. You either love your neighbor or you don't. There's no, I love you if. There's no, I love you if we look the same, dress the same, believe the same, behave the same. No, it's I love you or I don't. So okay, that, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. And I'm an I, I've always been a pub, very public in my kind of position as an ally. Um, and I've got a lot of gay Christian friends, and I've had people on talk about um, inclusive church and you know what that is um, before. So that that's really encouraging. That's that's why I shared that post because I think it needs some message that needs to be to be said. You know, and it's um, you know because it's. Yeah, it's just horrible the way the church is treated. Oh, yeah. Uh, these people. Yeah, the, 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 the church has done and it's the just, gay yeah. community and the mental health community a great disservice. And yeah. it is time to talk about and include both completely. Yeah. And actually, that, quote, that, that thing you said about uh, my job isn't to judge, it's just to love. I, that reminds me of a quote by Billy Graham. Mm. Um, I think it's it's... The Holy Spirit is God's. The Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job to judge. My job is just to love. Oh yeah, uh, yes, that is Billy Graham. Yeah, and I love that quote. And mm. um, and I think he actually said that to somebody when he was being asked about Bill Clinton and why he was, mm. you know, still supporting him even after what, still hanging out with him even after what happened. Yeah, uh, the controversy that he'd had. Um, yeah, and that's what he said. But I think it applies. In all, uh, in all circumstances, but I think it applies especially in around that issue um, yeah, at the moment. That's right. and, um, yeah, totally, totally. Actually, I was going to ask you. That was my next question. I read an article that you've written about why it sucks to be a Christian right now. Uh-huh. Um, just, to, I mean, we've already kind of talked about that a little bit, but just to unpack what you're thinking behind that article was, and you know why you wrote it. Yeah, that 
article um, was written in October of last year, and uh, it was written in a time when we were sort of in between churches. We were visiting around trying to find a place to fit, which is so tough when you're a liberal in the South, <laughs> in mm. the South, in the Southern United States. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> Mm. Being a liberal is 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 not easy, um, but we are that, and and I guess we're you could say we're moderate, but I'm on I'm far on the liberal side of being a moderate, and uh, yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we were in this spot going, you know, I, we had been through the ten years of being a youth pastor, being a worship pastor. Um, you know, growing up in the church, all that stuff we've talked about, and then the um, then the suicide attempt, and and all the stuff that surrounds that, and um, we were just at this place where we said, you know, we want to find a community, we want to be a part, we want to be included in the church, but I don't really like church people. I don't, and, and when I say that, I I don't like feeling like I'm boxed in. I don't like the labels that people put on you and the expectations that come with, okay, well, it, you're welcome to be a part of this church family. You know, we tell people, come just as you are. That's what we say. Come just as you are. Oh, just, just come and be a part. Just come and sit. But we don't really mean that. We mean come just as you are. And you've got about two weeks to decide what committee you want to be a part of. Uh, pick a small group. Let us know how much you'll be contributing to the tithe and offering. You know, all these expectations that we have of people, we don't really mean come just as you are in most circumstances. And so I just grew tired of that. And... We were at a spot where we were visiting this small little Methodist church, and we literally would show up during the second or third song, and we would leave at the benediction because I didn't want to be stuck talking to people. I didn't want to be stuck having to explain where we are and why we're not in ministry anymore and what's your story, what's your history, where are you from, blah, blah, all that stuff. I just wanted to go hear an encouraging message and leave, and... So I shared that post back in, like I say, October of last year. Well, then Huffington Post picked it up uh, here, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and it just sort of exploded. Um, and, and I'm thrilled we are now in a church that we love, and we are thrilled to be a part of this wonderful faith community. And it is the last place that I thought I would find grace because it's the church I grew up in. And uh, we've been gone from there for about 10 years, and I had all these preconceived notions of what it would be like if we ever returned. And we always said that's the one place we would never go back to. But I kept, <laughs> yeah, I kept feeling this nudge, just go visit, just go visit, just go. We hadn't been there in 10 years. And we finally said, okay, we're going to go once. It'll be our excuse. We'll go. We'll see just how judgmental and nasty and all this, you know, that they are. And then we'll never have to go back. We'll have our, you know, we will have settled it and we'll never have to go back. Mm. Well, we went and we were loved and accepted and invited. And the preaching was the most gracious preaching I'd ever heard from the pulpit at that church. And the music was wonderful. And the songs they were singing were all about finding this place of grace and oh man it was unreal and and we both left and said what just happened <laughs> what just happened but 
anyway, so so I guess what I'm trying to say is that article is a little dated because we are in a church that we love now, even though it's an imperfect church. You know, find a perfect mm-hmm. one. <laughs> but um, we're happy now. But the article is all about boxing people in. It's all about trying to make a Christian look like you trying to make a Christian look like what you think it ought to be and the rules that you think they ought to follow and the behaviors you think they ought to have and the language you think they should have. And that's not it at all. And so instead of holding up a mirror and telling you, you know, this is what it should look like, it's we should hold that mirror up to Jesus and say, this is what a Christian is and not, you know... (sighs) I'm good with having discussions. I'm good with disagreeing. If we're just talking and having casual conversation and we can be friends and be gracious Mm -hmm. and we don't have to disagree on everything, that's great. But I lost two friends in six months um, over theology, over the fact that I'm willing to say I don't know to certain things. I don't know 100% what I believe about hell. I don't know... 100% 100% what I believe about the rapture, you know, and, and, and there's all this talk. When I grew up, it was, are you pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, all this stuff? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know 100% what I believe about speaking in tongues. I don't know. And that's okay for me. It's a safe place for me because I have finally found this faith based on grace that is so much bigger than anything I can control or contrive And there are so many people still stuck in a faith that's based on guilt and shame and fear. Mm. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. I feel for them. You know, I I don't want to judge them. I don't want to throw them out, but I don't want to be them either. I was that for so long. And I just don't want to be that kind of person anymore. And so that's why I say it sucks to be a Christian right now. It sucks to be a Christian when we try to make everyone a robot and we try to label everyone and make everyone look just the same. And we don't give people space to move in and out of their system of beliefs. That sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah. We need to have growth with each other, you know. Yeah. And actually, I always say that inclusive church is one where it's not, one where we're the progressives and you just have to catch up with us. It's we, we, we have one theology. We have one set of ideas about this. You have another, but we love each other and we get on and we serve each other and we serve our community and we have friendships and we eat, and we eat food together and we have communion together. And you can have space for both. And yeah. because what can happen is that you can get the more progressive people who break off, the more progressive people who break off and create their own church, and then create more division, the more division, and then eventually oh, yeah. the progressives become the establishment, and then you get the progressives within that within that group who then go off and start their thing. Instead of, how about we just all accept that we're going to we have different interpretations and understandings of this, and just love each other and love our community and support each other and have community, have community together and have communion and all these kind of things and just be church. And that's right. And, and be, um, love to people. And I think that's what, that, that's, that's what that looks like for me. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah. It's, you know, 
it's what I say so often, and I will probably say it forever, but people aren't looking for another preacher. They're not looking for another theologian. They're not looking for another PhD. They're looking for a friend. People are looking for a friend. They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for this sacred space to come and rest, to lay down their burdens, to have no expectations other than just to be their true self. And they're looking to be loved. So if we can provide community where people are loved and accepted, oh my goodness, you can change the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Completely agree with you. So, so as we, it's been really, really great. <laughs> I've loved talking to you about this. I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this. <laughs> um, and we're definitely going to have you back, I think, because uh, I think there's loads more we can talk about. Um, just one kind of final question. If there's, when you look back at your story, I mean, what's the one, if you could just share one lesson that you've learned from your own story, which maybe something could offer hope to people who are listening, I mean, what would that be? Oh, boy. I think it is, I can't just give one, I'm going to have to give two. Okay. I don't, yeah. I don't follow the rules well. <laughs> no, 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 go for it. Break the rules. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> it, it. It's two. It is, one is sort of what we just talked about. It is that you don't have to have it all figured out today. Mm. You can question. You can doubt. It's, gosh, it's Rob Bell, uh, one of his podcasts that I listened to just a couple of weeks ago. He was talking about Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration and the scriptures, either in Matthew or Mark. I'm not sure mm. which account, but where the people that were there said some worshipped and some doubted. And I thought, my goodness, you know, here they are, <laughs> the Mount of Transfiguration. Are you kidding me? And there are people there doubting. But, but it's that, that, that you're okay, that you're not less than a, a full-fledged Christian when you have doubts and questions and things that you don't fully grasp. You don't have to have it all figured out to belong in the very heart of God. Mm. And then the second one is that... Your struggles don't disqualify you. I am yes. a formerly abused, formerly addicted, mentally ill <laughs> mm. guy, and I am fully convinced that God loves me with all his heart, that I belong to him, that nothing can take me from his hand, that nothing I can do, good or bad, will separate me from his love because he is love. Love is his character. Love is his heartbeat. Love is who he is. God is love. And in him there is no hatred. There is no division. There is no... Malice, there's no disenfranchisement. He's love. And so my struggles don't disqualify me from his heart or his community, his family, whatever you want to call it. We all have and will continue to have struggles, but mm. we all have and will continue to have grace. Wow. That's it. We all have and we will continue to have struggles, but we all have and will continue to have 
grace. What a great way to end um, this uh, this conversation, this podcast. Wow. I hope, um, I hope you've all been really encouraged and inspired as I have today. This is brilliant. Um, thank you so much, Steve, for coming on. And we'll definitely have you back as well. Thank you so much. I had a fantastic time, and I agree. We could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Maybe we will. <laughs> yeah, um, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, so I hope you've liked this, everybody, and have a great week, and I'll talk to you all soon.